Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. So, do you have a Bible? Yeah. Can you turn with me to Psalm chapter 42? And we're going to be camping out there today. <clears throat> so this is a, a really, really sweet, it's a really beautiful psalm. It's a psalm of deliverance. Um, and this is a psalm uh, that at multiple points in my life I find myself coming back to. Um, and most recently, um, for a lot of you know, uh, I lost a loved one this past year. His name was Dewan, and um, he was killed, um, and his life was taken from him unjustly. Uh, a bullet that was never meant for him took his life, um, and I'm not a very emotional person for those of you who know me, but uh, that is uh, the, the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through uh, emotionally in my life. And, and during that time, during that season, this psalm was really, really dear to me. Um, we actually sung a, a song that's kind of inspired by this psalm, Satisfied in You, right? And uh, man, with where we're at in Jonah, uh, it's led me back to this psalm. Uh, it plays on similar ideas of our thought life, right? And, and deliverance from that, uh, of God's grace, of his goodness, even when our circumstances uh, they seem dire, they seem desperate, and there might even appear to be no hope. And so, um, man, uh, I'm excited to be here with you all, and I hope you guys are excited uh, to hear from the Lord, because that's what we do anytime we get in front of his word, right? And so I'm just going to lay out some background uh, on the Psalms, because, I mean, a lot of you don't know. So Psalms, they are songs and they're hymns, right, in the Bible. And uh, I love them because they're, they're musical and they're poetic in nature, right? We see these repeating choruses. We see poetic structure that we can look at in them. But the most beautiful thing about the Psalms is that they're deeply personal, right? And so for all of you, I encourage you to spend time in the Psalms and to, to, to figure out, you know, to find a Psalm that, that fits the season of life that you're in. Uh, because they're, they're deeply personal. They're a dialogue between the psalmist and the Lord, and, and they wrestle, and, and they're raw, and they're not always super clean. Uh, you know, they, they battle with the ideas of depression, with rejoicing and, and great victory. You know, wh wherever you are, there's a psalm that will meet you there. And uh, uh, so we're going to be in Psalm 42. And uh, as a plug for, for LFBI, anybody that's not in LFBI, uh, I've learned so much about the Psalms just by taking a Bible survey class, right? So Dan Renault teaches Psalms and, and Bible survey. And one of the things that I learned, guys, I've been going to church since I was like three years old. And one of the things that I learned is that the Psalms are actually broken into five different books. Did you know that? So the Psalms are broken into five different books. And what's really, really cool about that is that the Torah, the Pentateuch, they're broken into five different books. Right, And so God orchestrated it so beautifully that each psalm deals with ideas and, and these, 
uh, overarching themes that goes on in the, the correlating books in the Torah. And so Psalm 42, uh, it's actually the very first psalm in the second book of the Psalms. And so for those of you who are very smart and, and astute, you're already doing the math and realizing that this, this book of the Psalms, it lines up with the book of Exodus, right? And so the book of Exodus, it's all about deliverance, right? It's about God seeing his children, Israel, in a broken place in slavery. And he says, I see you. And he delivers them out of this bondage, right? And, and you see this journey for them to this promised land. And so Psalm 42 and really the, that whole book, 42 through 72, the overarching theme, the overarching ideas that we're going to see, like, deal with is the, the, this theme of deliverance. And uh, so we see that actually begin uh, even in just the title for the psalm. How many of you guys actually, like, look at the titles? You probably just overlook it and go straight to the, to the meat of it, right? But... Um, the, the title, the subtitle for the psalm says, To the Chief Musician Masculine, which is like an instructive poem for the sons of Korah. Do any of you guys know who Korah is? Was he a good dude or a bad dude? He, you would think he'd be a good dude. This is to the sons of Korah, right? But he, he sucked, guys. Korah, like, that dude was wicked. Um, so Korah, he's the, the great-grandson of Levi, and he actually happens to be um, the cousin of Moses, uh, the cousin of Moses and Aaron. And so in this season uh, of the wilderness wanderings, uh, we, we really see him prominently in Numbers chapter 16. And I'm just going to summarize it for you guys. So this dude was so wicked, he, he led a rebellion, right? He got a bunch of other people. And they led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And what they were trying to do was undermine his authority, right? And, and what they really wanted to do is they wanted to make themselves priests. And so God answered that, and God rebuked Korah and this assembly of men. And it says that the earth opened up and swallowed these guys. And it's not just one guy. It's not just two guys. 250 dudes, they just got swallowed up by the earth, right? So, so God judged them. And then we see that in the aftermath of this, y'all are like, is this even in the Bible? Is he, is he being real? <laughs> yeah, crazy. But in the aftermath of this, there's confusion and there's more rebellion. And it says that, that God judged the whole camp, right? And he poured out plagues on the camp. And ultimately, we see that 14,950 people were died, right? They were killed due to this judgment of the Lord. So by one man, by Korah's rebellion, we see the ramification of that and that 14,900 people, 950 people died, right? So this dude was, was wicked. And, and this is a song to the sons of Korah, right? Um, for them to sing, to, to lead the congregation of Israel in. And what's really, really beautiful, so this sounds like a really just a depressing story. But God is so gracious. If we look in Numbers chapter 26, despite the testimony of Korah, we see God's mercy poured out on his line, on his lineage, on his sons, right? In chapter 26, verse 9 through 11, it says, 
This is that Dathan and Abiram, which were famous in the congregation, who strove against Moses and against Aaron and the company of Korah. When they strove against the Lord and the earth opened her mouth, see, I wasn't lying, the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When the company died, what time the fire devoured 250 men. And these 250 men, it says, became a sign. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. We see God's mercy on display, right? So their father was a murderer. And one day he led to the death and destruction of nearly 15,000 people. And notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. So he, he suffered them to live. He didn't kill them. But not only that. If we look at the testimony of these sons of Korah throughout the rest of Scripture, in, in First Chronicles chapter 6, uh, verses 31 to 38, we see, And these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord, after that the ark had rested, and they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation with singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So we see that the sons of Korah are named among these men who are set over the sing singing and leading in praise uh, as Solomon is building the house. And we see, again, once the, the house is built, they're, they're there um, leading praise. Um, they're there keeping the gates of the tabernacle. Um, we see them listed among uh, David's mighty men that, that fight alongside him. Uh, we see that Samuel actually came out of this lineage of men. Um, in Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 19, it says of them, the Levites and the children of the Korahites and the children uh, of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Right? And so we see the story of redemption. So despite their shortcomings, right, despite the sins of their father, Despite their identity and their flesh, God delivered them from that, and he made them worship leaders. So these men, they were marked by their father's name, that they would never forget what God delivered them from. And he took them, and he gave them the task of leading Israel in praise. And this is how the second book of the Psalms begins. Isn't that exciting? That's just in the title. So much that we overlook. Uh, so I'm going to read the psalm out loud. And then we're going to pray, and we'll, we'll actually dive into to, to the meat of this. Psalm 42 says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. Why they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, Will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, 
and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mazar, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life, I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance in my God. Amen. So, what is going on here? Does this dude seem like he's in a happy mood? No, he's not happy at all, right? Uh, this guy is in the middle of it. He's, he's going through it. As Sam would say, life is coming at him like a spider monkey, right? Um, but just a, a quick reading over it, and we quickly kind of gain some understanding about his situation, right? His environment, it, it's toxic. He's being persecuted all about him, right? He says, they continually say unto me, where is your God, right? He talks about them and says, as with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. That doesn't sound very comfortable. As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. We could even infer that, that whatever he's going through, the, this personal matter, this tragic thing, uh, it's leading people to question where, where his God is. So his external situation is desperate. Something's going on that's rocking his world. And, and nonetheless, uh, it's really, really clear that he's pursuing the Lord. And maybe even more, you know, um, blatant and obvious, even more apparent than his situation around him, right? The, the fact that, that life is going horribly, what's really apparent is his internal situation, right? His emotional state is distraught. Y'all, this dude is depressed. He says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And he repeats this twice in the psalm. We see him repeat it again in Psalm 43. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Guys, he feels like the waves of life are drowning him. He feels alone. And here we find him fighting for hope and giving counsel to his own soul. And so as we study Psalm 42, our goal is to observe some key insights that like the psalmist, that we would draw closer to God amidst seasons uh, of desperate trial, of physical trial, uh, of mental, emotional trial, that whenever our thought life has gone astray, we, like the psalmist, would seek the Lord. And for those of you who, who haven't been with us, we've been uh, in the, the book of Jonah, right? We're going through a, a series in the book of Jonah, and it's been awesome. And... Uh, you have to come back next week to hear Brandon as we continue in the book of Jonah. So that's an invitation for you to come back. Um, but one of the things that Brandon says uh, as we've been going through this book is that of Jonah in his best moments, he is reluctant. And in his worst moments, he is faithless, right? He's consumed by his emotions. He's obsessed with his circumstances and he's full of fear. And as a ministry of missions-minded young adults, uh, how do we 
avoid falling prey to a thought life that hinders fellowship with God and stunts faithfulness in our lives. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, just like Jonah is addressing that, that same idea, uh, that as we lock in and, and look at Psalm 42, uh, we're going to gain some key insights that when life does come crashing down all around us, like the psalmist, we would turn and seek the Lord. Right? So I'm going to pray, uh, and we're going to jump in. Lord, I thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, I thank you that it's a counsel to our souls, Lord. I thank you that uh, we have hope in Jesus Christ. Um, and Lord, I just pray uh, that as we're here, uh, we would understand that, that we're not just here to go through motions, that we're not just here uh, to go through some vain religious activity, uh, but that we're here to meet with you, uh, that we're here to hear from your word, to allow it to prick us, to allow it to, to change our hearts, to change our minds, Lord, that we'd be able to say, thy will be done, um, that you would receive glory out of our lives in no matter what circumstance we're in, whether it's a season of rejoicing or a season of desperation. Um, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be fixed upon you. Amen. <coughs> okay, if you're taking notes, uh, we're going to have key points coming up, right? And for every step of the way, there's going to be two key points. One of those key points is going to be for the person, the believer that's in the situation of the psalmist, right? If you're going through it right now, if your life is coming in on you, uh, if you're struggling with your thought life, if your situation seems desperate, then this is uh, something that will, will directly apply to you right now, right? This is something that you can directly apply to your life. Uh, right now. But some of you are like, oh man, my life is good. You know, I just got a raise, I got a promotion, the holidays are coming up, like, life is good. Well, I haven't forgotten about you, right? So th the second key point for each step is for you because eventually everything's not going to be all fine and dandy, right? The Lord promises that all who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Like if we've been reading Second Thessalonians, I mean, Come on now. And so the second key point is for those of us uh, who, who maybe are in a good situation right now, uh, but this is uh, preparing you to respond correctly when it inevitably life uh, comes crumbling down all around you, uh, when you are in the midst of persecution, when, when your thought life and, and your thoughts are, are trailing off, uh, that we would know what to do uh, with spiraling thoughts and lean on the Lord. And so uh, let's get eyes back on the passage. Um, in verse 1 it says, As the heart panteth after water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And so key point number 1A is that we must seek the Lord we must seek the Lord and labor to be in his presence when we are weary. Because he alone is our satisfaction. He alone gives life and he alone quenches our soul in a drought. Right? So in verses 1 through, through 3, we see how desperate the psalmist is to be in the presence of the Lord. Right? As a deer panteth, so panteth my soul after thee. My soul thirsteth. For God, for the living God, my tears have been my meat day and night. 
right? This dude can't even eat. He's just crying. He's sobbing all over himself. Uh, and here we see the basic needs, the, the essentials for life, right? The dude can't eat because he's so desperate to be in the presence to hear from the Lord. He's depriving himself of physical food. Water, right? He says that my soul thirsteth for thee, right? He, he likens his desperacy for the Lord uh, as uh, his need for water. Uh, he, he pants, so, my, uh, so panteth my soul, air, breath. He's saying, just as these things are essential, I need my God. Right? I need to be refreshed. And so, Kaya, the question on the floor today is, are you desperate to be in the presence of the Lord? The psalmist was more desperate for God than his physical situation, right? He's more desperate than, than physical food. His desire to be refreshed by God, by the living water, was more desperate than than. Uh, you know, a heart than a deer panting for, for his water brooks. In the midst of his persecution, he sought the Lord desperately, looking to him for salvation. His affection was on the Lord. And we see this same testimony exemplified in the life of Nehemiah. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, uh, but this awesome man of God, he, he rebuilt the, the, the walls in Jerusalem, right? And uh, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, he, he hears the state uh, 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 of his nation, and it's desperate, right? Um, it, it's broken down and desolate and destroyed, and, and there, there are fires in the walls, and, and it breaks Nehemiah's heart. And what Nehemiah says is, uh, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. He sat down and wept, and he mourned certain days, and he fasted, right? He deprived himself physically and prayed before the God of heaven, right? He's so desperate that God would move, more so than his physical sustenance, and, and it led to him to a place of brokenness. And this is what, what Sam was saying in the main service, that the beautiful thing about brokenness is it clearly reveals where affections lie, right? Whenever you're broken, that thing that you run to, that, that's where your affection is, right? It clearly reveals where our affection lies. And in the testimony of Nehemiah, he was so desperate, and in his brokenness, he ran to the Lord. He deprived himself of physical things that he might gain spiritual things, and he broke himself before the Lord in prayer. And the psalmist, in this desperate situation, it leads him prostrate before the Lord, seeking and pleading with his creator, just in the same way. And, and y'all, Nothing is more revealing about where our affections lie than trials and persecution. In the midst of trials, we're put through this refining fire, right? And it proves what's there. It proves where our affection is. And I know that some of you are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, whenever life gets hard, whenever the, those winds start blowing, you know, when, whenever that happens, I'll start leaning on the Lord. You know, then I'll get, you know, I'll run to him then. But it's not how it works, you know. By then, you've already walked so far away that when you turn to lean on the Lord, you just, whoa, you just fall down, right? And, and you, you really are just, just broken on the ground. And when you lean on him, th there's nothing there except for maybe that, that false idol that you put there. And, and then you start leaning on that, and you prop that up. Um, and I, I've learned a, a really valuable lesson in my, my short stint in ministry. Uh, but as I've been pursuing the Lord, 
And it's what we lean on in the calms of our life is inevitably what we run to when life gets really, really hard. Isn't that true? What we lean on in the calm of our life is inevitably what we run to when times get really hard. And so it's no coincidence that in verse 4, you know, whenever we see the psalmist happy and full of joy, where is he? Where is he? He's in the house of God, right? He's with the multitudes and he's lifting up his voice to the Lord. And guess where you find him when his situation is desperate, where he's broken? In this psalm, we find him lifting up his voice to the Lord, right? So whenever life is good, the dude's in the house of the Lord with all the people, give him praise. But whenever life is horrible and he feels alone and it's desperate and it's miserable, we find him lifting up his voice to the Lord in the very same place. Wherever you go to in the calm of your life is what you're going to turn to when life gets hard, right? So key point number 1B, this is such a great example of the psalmist. We must seek the Lord and labor to be in his presence now, right? You guys thought this was the same key point. But we have to seek the Lord and labor to be in his presence now. We can't wait till life gets hard, till our situations are desperate. We have to seek him now, labor to be in his presence now, because what we seek in the calm of our life is what we seek in trials, right? <clears throat> we see Jesus exemplify this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, when he arises early in the morning, right, a great while before day, and he went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed, right? He prayed to the Lord. <clears throat> How many of you actually seek the Lord desperately in the calm of your life? <clears throat> Consider... I don't know, how, how, what we do, what, what do we seek? I think of, no, you, that's too personal. What your, your coworker, what, what they seek in the calm of their life. Whenever they're celebrating, um, whether it's a birthday or maybe a promotion, whenever life's going really, really good, what do they say? Hey, like, meet me at the bar. Let's go grab a drink. First round's on me. Like, let, let's celebrate, right? That's what they do. Like, let's go party. Let's celebrate. Life is going well, right? Let, let's grab a drink. And then when life comes crumbling down all around them and they're desperate and they've got nothing else to turn to, where do you find them? Oh, at the bar? Having a drink? Yeah. What they turn to when life is going well and the calm of their life is often what they turn to when life's going really, really hard. For me, I really like ice cream. <laughs> right? So when life is going good, y'all, let's go to Betty Ray's. Let's get some ice cream. Right? First round's on me, like, <laughs> let's go. But y'all, whenever it's been a really long day, I don't feel like talking to anybody, and it's been hard, and it's been heavy, I, I deserve some ice cream, <laughs> right? I just, like, I need that. Like, I, I deserve that. I owe that to myself right now, right? It's been, it's been tough. And guys, you can substitute whatever vice you want there. But Lord, like, why, why not make that this? Like, why not? Man, I just got the promotion. Guys, let's, let's go worship the Lord. Like, you want to be at that worship night on Friday, right? When, when life's going good, like, let's, let's pursue him and give all praise and glory and honor to him. And guess what? When life hit rock bottom, just like that psalmist, where are you at? Lord, 
I'm desperate before you. I'm praising you. I'm worshiping you. And I'm desperate to be in your presence. Right? Let that be our testimony. <clears throat> Paul charges us in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, to set your affection, singular, your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And guys, if we're not reckoning where our affection lies, right, if we aren't examining ourself and fixing our eyes on the Lord and his presence, then we're inviting God to examine us. And we're inviting God to reveal where our affection lies through trial and tribulation and persecution, right? Though these waves that he allows, just like Jonah experienced in, in chapter 1, right? Jonah fled against the presence of the Lord. And go figure, waves came up in his life. These trials, these things that looked like they were drowning him, they came up and God allowed those things that it, he would reorient and set his affection on his creator, right? If we learn to seek God and to, to reorient our affection on him in the calm of our lives, then as trials hit, we will surely run to him, right? And in running to the Lord, we will remember his goodness. And that's what we see in verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept the holy day. In verse 6, we see him remember again. I remember thee from the land of Jordan and the, the Hermonites and from the hill of Mazar. And so key point number two. We must remember our time in the presence of God and in the fellowship of believers. It is proof of his faithfulness and comfort in lonely seasons. Right? As the psalmist seeks the Lord, it brings him to remembrance. And Brandon last week told us uh, that remembering God is a discipline of desperation. Right? A discipline of desperation. The psalmist remembers going to the house of God with the joy and praise with the multitude that kept the holy day. <clears throat> he, re he recalls his time with God and recalls his time in fellowship with other believers, right, with the multitude amidst this trial. And, and y'all, this isn't something that we just do. A lot of us grew up with a, a skewed perspective of what church is, of what gathering together on Sunday morning together looks like, right? This is important. This right here is important. This is the thing that the psalmist is longing for in his day of desperation, right? Um... I've been talking to, Alvaro is one of my best friends. And uh, Alvaro recently moved to Colombia. And his situation is not desperate. Alvaro's in a really good place. But you know what he longs to be with? You know who he longs to be with? He longs to be with you guys. He, he, he loves us. He wants to be in the congregation of, of, of his brothers and sisters, lifting up his worship and praise to the Lord. Guys, people are desperate to be in the presence of the Lord, and so often we neglect this time. How dare we? Do you think that us going on retreats, on us having mission focus, on us having these great times together and great praise and great preaching is just to, to do a thing? No. Guys, these are where, where we put stakes down. How many of you at mission focus at some point put down a stake and realized, hey, this life is not my own? 
right? Wherever, whenever, whatever, God, I'm, I'm trusting you, right? Those are stakes that we can go back to. This is an important time. This is what we're going to look back to. This is what we remember in the trials of our life, right? <clears throat> he remembers a, a time of victory uh, by the hand of God, right? The, the psalmist remembers uh, God from the land of Jordan, and he recalls the deliverance uh, of the Amorites to the children of Israel, uh, which we see in Deuteronomy 3, 8 through 9. And so we must remember that our time is like the continuation of point number 2A. Um, we must remember that our times of great victory in the Lord, right? We must remember our times of great victory in the Lord. It proves his strength and it gives hope in seasons of doubt, right? We must remember our times of great victory in the Lord because it proves God's strength and it gives us hope in seasons of doubt. <clears throat> and as the psalmist remembers this, it says that he pours out his soul it's an act of praise, right? If you trace out that phrase, that phraseology, as Brett says, right? Is that what he says in Theology Roundtable? If you <clears throat> but if you search out that phrase throughout the Old Testament, we see that pouring out, uh, it's most commonly associated uh, with pouring out an offering, and typically with pouring out <coughs> blood, right? <clears throat> it's also translated as casting down and so we see the psalmist pouring out his soul in an act of worship, an act of surrender to God. He's casting it down at his altar. <coughs> uh, would you turn with me to, to 1 Samuel chapter 1? I've been setting out First and Second Samuel. It's been a really sweet time. <coughs> and we're going to look to the example of Hannah, of what it looks like to pour out our soul. First Samuel chapter 1. In verse 9 it says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, they not her. And after they had drunk, again, they, not her. She's in the same desperate place of the psalmist, right? She can't even bring herself to eat. Um, so that's what they were concerned with, right? The, 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 the people that she was with, they were surrounded about eating and drinking. She couldn't even bring herself to eat or drink. Instead, the first opportunity she got, we see her running and fleeing to the temple of the Lord. And then verse 10, it says, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. She spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. Right? Eli's like, man, what's going on? And so Eli comes up and he says unto her, 
how long wilt thou be drunken? And remember, she hasn't drunken anything. Put away the wine from thee. And this is Hannah's answer. She said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunken neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Right? We see uh, a similar testimony of Job in Job chapter 30. But the point is that remembrance brought the psalmist to this point of dumping out his soul in worship of the Lord. Lamentations 2.19 tell us to arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. And that's what we see the psalmist doing here. Right? That, that remembrance brought him to a place of pouring out everything in desperacy. Key point number 2B. So this is the, the counterpoint, right? So for all of us whose life is fine and dandy, uh, that we can be prepared to respond like the psalmist, we must put down stakes in our times in the presence of the Lord. And in the fellowship of believers, it will be proof of his faithfulness and comfort in lonely seasons. So we need to be in the practice now, in the calm of our lives, when we see great victories uh, when, when life is good and the seasons and times amongst our brothers and sisters, that's when we need to put stakes down because those stakes are going to be the things that we look back on, right? So we must put down stakes in our time in the presence of God and in the fellowship of believers. It will be proof of his faithfulness and comfort in lonely seasons. And we must put stakes down in times of great victory, right? We must put stakes down in times of great victory, in the Lord, it will prove his strength and it will give hope in seasons of doubt. <clears throat> God's victories are monumental, right? And uh, these monuments, we can look back on them and they will propel us forward. Um, and so often, uh, it's not till after the trial that we see how God was working, how his hand was at play. Um, but God has proven himself to us that we might hold on to his testimony um, when it's hard, that we might believe on the Lord, that we might respond appropriately. Uh, that's why we have these retreats. I think of even, uh, I don't know how many of you all uh, keep up with the, the Kaya blog, um, but Hannah's poem was posted in the blog, and it was a deeply personal um, uh, poem that dealt with the season of life that she's in. And one of the really cool things that she said whenever she explained the poem to us is that this is something that she, she does every single year, right? So every single year she challenges her students to write a poem, and then she does too. But this poem is something that now Hannah can look back on years from now, maybe even months from now, and see amidst a desperate and a dark situation where maybe there appeared to be no hope, God's grace and his goodness amidst what? It's crazy, but that is, it's a monument that she has placed now that she can always look back to. Do you guys have monuments like that in your life? Do you have stakes down where you can look back and see God's goodness, where you can see his deliverance, even, you know, in, in hardships? Uh, Eric Phillips discipled me, and one of the things that I really admire about Eric is that uh, he keeps a journal, 
Eric's been keeping a journal since he was in high school, like continuously. But one of the really cool things about this is that uh, he can look back in his journal and see God's goodness over seasons of his life, even seasons that seemed really desperate and really, really bad. He's able to, to, to see a bigger picture, to see, see God at play, right? And so it's needful for us to put down these stakes that we can look back on. Um, for me, I just started a Bible study on Thursday nights at UNKC. And one of the really, really sweet things I've been doing over this past week is during Bible study, whenever my guys give prayer requests and praises, I always write them down, right? And, and I've got logs of, of prayer requests and praises going back to 2013 when I first started Bible study at Dan Renaud. And taking the time to go back through those prayer requests and to see how good and how big our God is. Like, it's crazy, y'all. It's so, so awesome. And it's so encouraging. For me to be able to look back in times with, with, with Bible study at Uriah and to see what, what God's done. At, guys, out of Uriah's Bible study, right? This was the only Bible study, like Kaya Young Men's Bible study in Kansas City. Out of that Bible study, there's now five Bible studies, right? Out of Uriah's Bible study, there's a Bible study planted in Grandview. There's now three Bible studies at UMKC. And now there's a Bible study in Columbia, Missouri, right? For me to look back on that, to see God's goodness in the midst of starting a new work, that's so encouraging for me, right? So we need to be in the act of putting down stakes and, and, and victory, like in times of victory and seasons of goodness that we can look back on them in really, really desperate situations. I told you I've been studying for Samuel, right? Okay, can we turn to, to chapter 7? In verse 7, it says, And the men of Kirajeth Jerem, yeah, Kirajeth Jerem, came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadad in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirajeth Jerem, that the time was long, <coughs> verse 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the strange gods, and Asheroth, and among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Asheroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel in Mizpah, and and I will praise and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together in Mizpah, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together, right, when they heard that they were all gathered together in one place uh, in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. 
And the children of Israel said unto Samuel, Cease not to cry out unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistine. And Samuel took up a suckling ram and offered it for a burnt offering, wholly unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered, and with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines, and discomforted them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went to Mizpah, and pursued the Philistines, and smote them until they came to Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone, and set it between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Right? Samuel took a stone, and he put it up, and he called unto it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Guys, we need to be in the work of building Ebenezer's in our life, right? In seasons of great victory where we see God showing through, we need to build Ebenezer's in our life. There are testimonies to others of what the Lord has done, but also there are testimonies of remembrance for us. Right? Whenever we're going through it, whenever we find ourselves in the place of the psalmist, uh, we can remember God's victory. We can point to that and see God's goodness. In verse 5, it says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. <clears throat> Key point number three is that we must counsel our soul to help in the Lord, to hope in the Lord, and praise him for his nearness when our soul is downcast. Right? And this is the reoccurring chorus in the psalm. It's a dialogue with his soul. Right? He's saying, hey, soul, why are you cast down? Why aren't you disquieted? The psalmist takes a minute to pause and to consider his circumstance. And he gives counsel to his soul. He tells it to hope thou in God. Your soul, hope thou in God. Uh, and to hope is to wait expectantly. As the psalmist declares that he will yet praise God for the help of his countenance, for his presence. We see that despite his knowledge, despite him remembering, his circumstance hasn't changed, right? So the first thing he does is he, he seeks the Lord, right? And after that, it brings him to this place of remembering. But guess what? Just because he did that doesn't mean that his circumstance changed, right? He's still going through it. He's still in the middle of it. And even emotionally, he, he, he's still struggling with it, right? <clears throat> so his circumstance hasn't changed. His feelings are still something that he, he's waging war against. And yet, he's instructing himself to praise God for his presence. Because God is nigh, he's present, and he's worthy to be praised, right? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And it says that the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, right? 
And do you guys remember the circumstance that, that Paul was in whenever he wrote this to the Philippians? He's in jail, right? This dude is going through it. Paul was going through it when he wrote this epistle, telling them that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep their hearts and minds. Because he knew that's where he was at. In the midst of the trial, our psalmist wisely counsels his own soul towards hope in God and praises him, acknowledging his goodness. He offers himself the same advice that Paul offered to the Philippians, right? And so key point number three, B, is that, guys, right now, right now, we must know the counsel of God through his word. It's not good enough to know it whenever we're going through the situation, whenever we're, we're in the midst of it. Right now, we need to know the counsel of God through his word because we need to walk in the counsel of God. We need to walk in the counsel of his word in these trials, right? If we don't know it now, then we can't apply it later. And that's why we're going through the, the, the Proverbs, right? How many of you guys are with us on Tuesday nights? Oh, man, it's so refreshing, this Proverbs series, right? We need to know the counsel of God. We need to understand it. That way we can actually live it out in wisdom, right? Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Proverbs 2, 1 through 2 says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. 10 through 12 says, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4 says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. We need to be doing this now. That way it would be accessible whenever we're going through it. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 4, 1 through 4 Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my, of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my words, keep my commandments, and what? And live. Keep my commandments and live. And y'all, right now, we need to know the counsel of God's word. That way it's accessible and we can counsel our own souls whenever we're going through it, right? This Proverbs series is so sweet. But we need to know God's word and understand it and apply it to our lives. It's so incredible, like in this room, just to, to know the, the depth of knowledge that you guys know in the word. Like it really, really is impressive and it's incredible. It's unlike anything else or anywhere else I've ever been. Um, but, but some of you, you, you know the word of God. Some of you can even counsel others, but when it comes to counseling your own soul, there's something that like just loses, right? Like what what happened? You know how to you know what to do, but some for some reason you're not applying it to your own life. And guys, we need to be 
regularly counseling our own souls. The things that we're learning, the things that we're understanding, now it's time to live it out, not for them, but for us, that we might live it, that we might walk in it, that we might deliver ourselves from the snare of the devil. Right? Something that we need to do. We need to be uh, good counselors, not just to others, but to ourselves. <coughs> but despite this, right, so the psalmist, what's he do? He seeks the Lord. He remembers, right? <coughs> and this brings him to a place um, where he's counseling his own soul. And despite this, in verse 7, it says, Deep calleth unto deep the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer, sh- uh, and my prayer unto the God of my life. Right? So he, he's done all this stuff. And guys, his situation is still difficult. And he's still desperate. Right? He's done all this stuff. He sought the Lord, he's remembered, he's counseled his own soul. And it says, what does it say? Deep calleth unto deep. And the noise of thy water spouts and all thy waves and billows are gone over me, right? Deep calleth unto deep. These waves are just following one another, right? They're, they're clobbering me. They're doing that, that one-two punch, right? Uh, they just keep hitting me. And they've got my number. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys, how many of you guys ever feel like, just life is drowning you. Can you relate to that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of us are so busy. We're swamped with school, with ministry responsibilities, with life. Um, life gets hard. I can't swim, so that's how I feel anytime I'm actually in the pool. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, the psalmist cries out that his waves just keep hitting and they're billowing over him, and they're drowning him. And, you know, we have sought the Lord through his word. We've remembered his victory. We've counseled our own soul. What's there left to do, right? He's still going through it. He still feels like he's drowning. But what's there left to do? Do you remember the, his, his full counsel to himself? He said to hope in the Lord. And then what did, what did he say to do? To praise him, right? To praise him. So, um, in this, the psalmist affirms God's love, God's love. He sings his song and prays unto the God for salvation. And so, key point number four A is that in times of doubt, we must acknowledge God's love. We need to let this lead us to praise and prayer unto the God of our salvation. Right? That's where we find him in verse eight. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness. In the daytime, in the night, his song shall be with me my prayer unto the God of my life, right? Satisfied in you, like, man, that's a song that I go back to. This psalm is a a psalm that I go back to. (coughs) And these are the songs to me in in the night. Uh, These are songs that I can pray unto the Lord of my life for salvation, right? Do you remember Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2? Out of the belly of the whale, He said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly uh, of hell, and cried I, and thou hurts my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, 
and the floods compassed me about after the billows and thy waves passed over me. Sound familiar? Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again to thy holy temple. Does that sound familiar? The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, the depth closed me round about, the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars, why art thou cast down on my soul, right? The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came unto thee in thine holy temple. Amen. The psalmist sounds like Jonah in his prayer, doesn't he? Uh, let's look at uh, Matthew fourteen thirty. It says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, this is Peter, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship and the wind ceased, then they were in the ship, came, worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. So we can't forget that God made the waves and that he commands the waves, right? Uh, that he allows them, he allows these trials in our lives. And the psalmist, he even acknowledges this, right? If we look in verse 7, he says, he calls the waves thy waves. He calls them, them God's waves, right? Uh, we see this in, in Jonah, right? The, the, these waves were of the Lord. And we see uh, that God has power over the waves, right? Uh, if we, we walk through the Gospels, how he quiets storms. And sometimes it's our lack of faith that prevents us from walking upon the waves like Peter. Uh, but let's be quick to call unto the Lord through praise and through prayer saying, save me. Save me. That was Peter's cry whenever he began to sink, right? Save me. And guess what? The Lord was close. He stretched out his arm to save him. Because surely Jesus is always right there and with an arm stretched forth. Right? Surely Jesus is always right there with an arm stretched forth. We see, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the day and in the night. His song shall be with me in my prayer the God of my life. Here the psalmist acknowledges God as Jehovah for the first time in the psalm. Do you see that? Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the day and in the night his song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. This is the first time in the psalm that the psalmist acknowledges God as Jehovah, as Lord, as a self-existent one as a God of the covenant that commands his loving kindness. He proclaims that the hand of God was with him in the daytime and the song of the Lord at night, like the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Right? Despite all the waves happening in the psalmist's life, he is able to hold on to God as his rock, the unchanging force in his life. And so key point number four, we must know God's love now because we need his salvation now. Do you guys know what John 15, 13 says about love? Greater love hath no man than, than what? That a man lay down his life for his friend. 
And for, for all of you, maybe it's your first time visiting, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as friend, uh, but Jesus loved you so much that he gave up everything. He laid down his life for you. He saw your sin, that it separated you from an almighty and a holy God, and, and it broke his heart. And so he came down and he lived a perfect life. And he said, hey, that, that sin that you have, uh, Lord, judge me instead. Pour out your wrath on me and, and let them take my life. God gave up everything. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. And, and he gave it all up that we might have right relationship with, with the Father, right? That we could be reconciled to him. And so for some of you, this is the call. It's through salvation, right? It's that you would know that love now, that you would know the love of Christ. And it only comes through confessing him as Lord and Savior by acknowledging your sin and seeing the sacrifice that he's done for all of us and just receiving it, right? We must know God's love now because we need his salvation now, right? Not just when the, the physical circumstances of our lives are astray. We need the salvation now. In verse 11, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. We see the chorus appear once more, but clearly the tone has changed. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. The psalmist no longer praises him for being the help of his countenance, which we saw earlier, but proclaiming that he is the health of his countenance, what sustains him. And my, my personal, my God, right? He says, yet I shall praise him, who is my health and my God. And uh, we're going to wrap. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.